Welcome to the 24th episode of Delica. I'm Stephanie Dunkerson. And I'm Suidian Lee. And this week we're going to talk about representation in pop culture. So we're going to talk about instances of whitewashing and yellow face in pop culture. As such as Carly Kloss' recent folk magazine faux pas. And we're also going to talk about movies like La La Land and the hashtag Oscar So White controversy. And we're also going to unpack terms such as whitewashing, yellow face, and white casting so we can all be more and more woke. We're going to be real pop culture in this episode, but I think part of it is to highlight how important it is to consider the influences pop culture provide, especially about issues of representation, because at the end of the day, what we see can influence how we see ourselves and what we can do. So here's to it. So the most recent example of whitewashing or yellow face in pop culture um, was Carly Kloss's feature on the latest issue of Vogue, their quote-unquote diversity issue, which is supposed to be on the newsstands soon. Like only the pre-images came out and it's already causing controversy. So what actually happened in this supposed to be diversity issue where they're trying to showcase how diverse models are today, um, they had an eight-page spread of Carly Kloss painted like uh, white like a geisha with the red lips and like black mm-hmm. hair. Yeah, I mean, Carly Claus is a white supermodel from Midwestern America. She looks nothing like an Asian and she should not be anywhere close to a geisha makeup, you know? Her trademark is like blonde hair kind of thing. So this is like particularly contrasted to how Japanified or Asianified she was made. Her feature was the main story of that issue. So what does that say about Vogue's understanding of diversity? <laughs> You know, it's really disturbing, right? Like you've actually got... That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, you've got other supermodels, other non-white supermodels featured in the issue, but they only get one page spreads. Well, Carly got eight pages. So it's crazy. Dressed up in such an... You know, it is not... An eight page spread does not happen by accident. It's clearly an editorial choice. Did no one of color say like, okay, this is the diversity issue? Like, I don't know. Carly actually came out and apologized for her insensitivity towards this issue which noticeably Vogue did not so that's also interesting even though if anything she's I don't think she's the one to blame again it's an editorial choice and she was a model that was chosen for the shoot you know yeah this is yet another example of people's understanding of diversity is still from a white perspective and so any stories that is non-white but interesting enough has to be turned into something from a white angle, you know, understood through a white angle so that it's more profitable or more bankable for readers and consumers, which is a crazy assumption, right? I guess this is not only a fashion industry thing, but also very much a Hollywood thing. Last week, Tonight asks, how is this still a thing? This week, Hollywood whitewashing. How is this still a thing? In just one week, we'll celebrate the Academy Awards. They promise to be controversial, as for the second year running, the nominees are whiter than a Yeti in a snowstorm, fighting Tilda Swinton. So in the Oscar So White campaign, essentially, what happened was there was no people of color in the 2015 and 2016 nomination. So many of the acting nominations did not have a single person of color, in spite of some really amazing movies like Selma, Beast of No Nation, Creed. Creed like, was so good. Oh my gosh. 
Exactly. Like Michael B. Jordan in that movie is amazing. And Idris Elba in Beast of No Nation is like such a powerful movie. And yet they got snubbed. Yeah, not recognizing that there's a lot of really important and great pieces that are done by um, people of color. And then like just because they can't identify with that experience, they don't judge it to be good, right? So like the case in point here, I would say like everyone in Hollywood loved La La Land. Mm-hmm. And like watching it, I was just like, yeah, it's a good film. Like it's a solid film with like pretty and um. <laughs> That's it. That's all you can. Yeah. T- <laughs> but I like it's not it's not supposed to like be in the contenders for the most awarded movie of all of history. I don't think it's that groundbreaking. It's a fairly straightforward movie trope you know of the idealistic artist like in particular for me um the hidden insidiousness of la la land behind its monochromatic lens is just how it's premised on zepp uh ryan gosling's character trying to save jazz which is you know a very historically rich black people music and Mm -hmm. uh, here you have a white man having to come save it from extinction and it's like what jazz is not really dying Two, they had John Legend, an actual talented musician who's African-American, play like the secondary character, uh, like a black man who is, you know, corrupting jazz. Mm -hmm. And three, if you've noticed throughout the movie, and you know, this is hardly a spoiler, almost every instance of the quote-unquote pure jazz that Seb is promoting is performed by a person of color, except for him, (laughs) you know. Except for him. It's like ridiculous, right? They're just like a backdrop. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost feels a little bit like the Carly Claw situation where, you know, in order to understand diversity, they have to see it from a white person's perspective. Yeah, exactly. I think the point of all of this is like people in Hollywood and Vogue or all the type of people who I'm sure voted for Hillary. And, you know, I'm sure some of them are even pro-Black Lives Matter. But the thing is like, inclusivity and intersectionality goes way beyond you know supporting hillary it goes towards like being aware of how privilege affects how you perceive things in life and how you perceive and value movies and pop culture totally and i think it's you know a lot of people have been saying la la land is beautiful and gorgeous because it provides an escapist fantasy right like especially in these dire times but it is a fantasy that is a totally white fantasy so what does it say that it you know the only nostalgia and the only escape you can get is the white escape yeah right this white perspective on what a good life is and it's just ridiculous because a lot of those people a lot of those stories of black musicians are just pushed under the rug in this kind of understanding and to say that you have an escape you know and to say that you can have this movie as an escape that's privilege that is white privilege in a nutshell because the existence of people of color you cannot escape that reality and when you watch this movie it is not escape but a reminder of the fact that even your supposed white allies are not there yet
So now that you have our righteous rage moment, we'd actually like to try unpack a lot of topics to give you more of a background on what we're talking about and what we referenced in our previous part of our rant that we haven't yet unpacked because we ranted. Yes, and these terms, you know, they're not exactly easy terms to wrap your head around. So, I mean, the first one I think we used, right, is like whitewashing. What, what exactly is whitewashing? I think in particular in terms of Hollywood, right, where I think it's most prevalent, is this idea of featuring only the stories of white characters or even turning non-white characters into white characters so that the only valid perspective is the white perspective. So to me, whitewashing is taking away the stories of people of color and then inputting white people and white characters in place of those people of color, taking away completely the culture and rich history behind that story. And I also think, uh, especially in Hollywood, right, I think there are two ways in which you can whitewash. One, it's this idea of white casting where you only cast white people for all the roles, in which case you're, you know, even non-white characters are not even given the chance to be non-white. And they just turn into white already. Which is La La Land. Which is La La Land, exactly. Like, don't you think it would make more sense if you had a black person playing the role of somebody who wants to save jazz? Yeah, like right. if Zeb's character was played by John Legend, again, an actual musician. And I think it would have been such a more compelling narrative because it's like, let's say in his world, jazz is really dying and he's a black person trying to save it. To me, that speaks like... Again, and we're not African-American, but to me, that still resonates much more deeply than like this random white broke person who for some reason wants to save jazz because he finds it so interesting. You know, the most important roles goes to white people. And then you have people of color playing secondary roles, often maybe like saying like five words, you know, but basically they're token diversity, token diversity in which their character has no actual bearing to plot or used in anything to weaken or uh, make them the bad guy. So actually, this is a great point, right? Because I think this idea of the non-white person as the bad guy also plays into the idea of white savior complex, where the white guy is not only the protagonist, but has to save the day, even in incredibly implausible situations. I think Ryan Gosling is one example that's Ridiculous, but not as ridiculous as movies such as like The Last Samurai when you got Tom Cruise as as the last Japanese samurai. I'm like, it's so ridiculous. Like, how did he end up in Japan? (laughs) Or more recently, The Great Wall starring Matt Damon. Yeah, again, how did he end up in China? I do not know. I do not know. (laughs) It's inserting a white person just literally for the idea that they are the only one that's capable of saving the day. This is not just limited to white male. White women can be a part of this whole train of whitewashing. So, mm-hmm. for example, one of the most recent example is Scarlett Johansson as Motoko Kusanagi in the upcoming live action movie Ghost in the Shell, which is really offensive because Ghost in the Shell is awesome. Literally, the character's name is Motoko Kusanagi. And everyone's like, oh, but this is set in like the future and it's like a robot, so it's not like particular. Um, she's supposed to be a patrol robot so if like a white woman was the patrol robot in future Japan like what what it's like what yeah I mean you know in the olden days of cinema right like white actors would use eyelid tape to Asianify themselves in today's era there's actually been test footage of Scarlett Johansson being made more Asian via CGI. Are you serious? Yeah, that's how the controversy came up because the movie's not out yet, but there has been. Oh my god, I need to go this. And it's like ridiculous, you know, this idea that you'll do anything 
to keep the white actor in the role, even if it's completely ridiculous, inappropriate, and frankly, offensive. This is a, a classic case of yellowface, which is turning a white person into an Asian person by any means, whether that's eyelid tape in the past or CGI in the modern day. Yeah, you know, a lot of instances of yellowface is about reducing the Asian experience into some sort of caricature. Yeah. So I mean, these portrayals of yellowface in cinema, bad enough that they're in these uh, popular movies, right? But you've also got instances of them even in children's movies. I think the most Famous recent one is you know when you white casted the whole Avatar, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Literally everyone is like all the protagonists were white, and then the quote unquote bad guys were all Middle Eastern or Indian. In the cartoon, everyone was like Asian Inuit. Are you serious? Yeah, I found it so weirdly stark that they chose white actors to play the protagonists, and these were not even like Asian passing white actors or whatever. These are like clearly white. You mean as Asian passing as Emma Stone is as Alison Ung in Aloha? Yes. She played the character called Alison Ung, who's supposed to be half Asian. I I just don't even understand. There's so many hot, like white Asian actors. From what angle are they looking at this? From the economic angle, right? That's the elephant in the room here that we haven't talked about, which is people assume white actors is gonna mean more money in the box office. Yeah, so I think also this whole economic argument is a really lazy way to not actually work on a good script and think about including、um, actors who are otherwise really great. If people start to think that whitewashing is the norm, then that's basically excluding all potential non-white narratives right there because people don't care, people don't want to watch it. Yeah. We do have to commend the Oscars this year because you know they've really reacted well to the backlash of Oscar So White from last year and、uh, nominating really compelling non-white narratives into the Best Picture categories. You know, so good on them, and you know I'm really excited, and I really do hope a lot of these movies come out in Indonesia because I really want to watch like Moonlight. Yeah, Moonlight is not happening in Jakarta. Let's be real. Moonlight is a coming-of-age story of a young gay African American in the streets of Florida. So suffice to say, it's gonna be unlikely that we will come to Jakarta theaters. But it is getting a lot of accolades and critical acclaim, and it is up for Best Picture. And I really do hope that it will win、uh, over La La Land. Although I haven't yet watched all of the movies from this year's Oscar, I have to say when I've watched all of the trailers, all the ones with like、um, Lion with Dev Patel, Moonlight. And hidden figures seems a lot more compelling and more interesting, and、uh, you know brings out a whole new different perspective that is just not there in La La Land. All of this discussion about、uh, representation in pop culture, and some people, you know, some of our listeners might be thinking, like, why, why should we care so much about pop culture? It's just entertainment, right? At the end of the day, you know, it's not just entertainment, though. 
we can all remember the movies and the films that influenced us as we're growing up, whether they're children's movies or adult movies, you know? The movie that I think really spoke to me growing up was Milan because when she was Asian too, she was completely... She looked like you. Totally badass. She looked like me-ish. I mean, I'm Chinese Indonesian. She's Chinese. Um, I was pretty tomboy as a child. She is really tomboy. Um, but more than that, I think she was the first Disney princess to, you know, own her life and like really take advantage of um taking control of her life and not only did she you know save her father but she basically saved the entire country she like went through all this terrible training and beat all the men and being the most competent soldier and it really felt like it taught me that I can do and be anything in my life and like be strong and like powerful but also like not forget where I come from Mm -hmm. and you know like being like I probably can't identify with Elsa and Anna, princesses from, like, a Nordic country. But, like, to me, like, when Mulan came out, I watched it, like, I'm sure, like, eight times in two years. That was how important it was to me. Mm-hmm. It was formative, right? Like, I didn't feel like I had to be princessy. Like, I felt like I can be someone who is defined by what I do and what I fight for and what I stand for instead of, like, you know, marrying somebody or, like, existing as a princess which i never understand like what's the appeal of being a princess you're just there born into like a particular thing i think with mulan you know you can see that you can take control of your own life yeah and i think that's why representation is so important right it's giving people giving uh, young people narratives in which they can identify and can motivate them and like give them this idea that they too can achieve everything like it's not just the white man that saves the day but you can save the day and it shows you that you are powerful and that you can take on like other things in life and i think beyond that like i think pop culture needs to be taken seriously because it can also create different kinds of biases towards people mm-hmm. which we all know like you know i think the prevalence of african americans in hollywood that as gangsters or as dangerous men can be really difficult for african americans who are perceived as dangerous right and then consequently people have implicit biases about them and what ends up happening is like Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, all of these people are gunned down without a fair chance because people are afraid because what they think they have to fear based on, you know, perceptions in media and Hollywood. Exactly. Like if every day you're watching a television or film and you only get one perspective of a person as negative, you're obviously going to be scared of them and that has real physical implications to that individual. And for example, with Carly Claus and like uh, fashion models, I know a lot of young girls that are young, impressionable teenagers, especially women of color, are always like, oh, but I'm not skinny. I'm not like white. I'm not beautiful. And like they have this image that to be white and blonde like Carly Claus is to be beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really damaging to a lot of people's self-esteem, which results in bulimia, anorexia, and self-harm. Mm-hmm. So uh, pop culture is really important because it does define a lot of things for especially young people. And I think like I mean, te- being a teenager is hard enough, like discovering that you are mortal and discovering. Well, that was my particular challenge as a teenager. But um, <laughs> but just growing up and like with all those hormones and just like becoming a person is already hard enough without having so many negative portrayals about your skin and your identity right 
if we keep if, if we're trying to still figure ourselves out and we keep being fed garbage in the way we're being portrayed then we'll only create garbage We're simultaneously criticizing the kind of pop culture that has pervaded, but also imploring those who are working in pop culture to aim higher, to tell better stories, and you know, really understand the responsibility they have as people who create the kind of media that we consume, you know? Thank you so much for listening to us this week. Uh, we hope you kind of took away something from it. As always, um, music credits to Jazzart, Ryan Little, and Bro for Free. And if you haven't followed us on YouTube, um, our latest channel, uh, you should definitely follow yeah. us. We're also still going to be on SoundCloud, but we want to uh, highlight YouTube a bit more. And also, it's a lot easier, I guess, to listen on YouTube than, yeah. say, like open up SoundCloud or you know go into iTunes and download the podcast. So we're trying to make it easier for you guys to, to, listen. Uh, to enjoy the episodes. Yeah. And once again, we always, always really want feedback. So email us at dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or send us a Facebook message or comment on YouTube. And as always, uh, we'll have resources and links at our website, dialogica.id. And thanks so much for listening. Bye.